Hello there. This is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The only podcast where I have watched and told you about an entire fucking season of Doctor Who. Yeah, and these are, as we've said, these are long-ass seasons. These are 42 episodes worth of seasons, at least at this point, in Doctor Who. So that's like <laughs> <laughs> almost two seasons of... Uh, of like a long form TV show. And these days when everything is like, you know, six to 12 episode mini series. Oh my God. Yeah, well, don't make me do math, but this is a long season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, these days you could, you could get away with any individual, one of these serials as being like your entire season. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it like that, but yeah, pretty much. Um, and like, yeah, this was the first season. Um, so it's always, it's interesting because I, I think with Doctor Who, there's always this part of my brain that's like, I just assume it goes back farther, you know? Like, oh, it kind of starts with Christopher Eccleston, but no, there's that classic stuff that comes before. And like, you know, there's the fourth Doctor who's like so iconic, but there's other stuff that goes before that. Mm -hmm. Like, but you can't just keep going back indefinitely because this is where it all began. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, I suppose, you know, we could hear, we could get stories about like the doctor's past before, before this season starts, but like as far as actual real earth history, you know, you can't go back any farther than this. Yeah. That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. There's like the in universe and then um, real world. Uh, history of Doctor Who and and to me you know sometimes I think about Star Wars every now and then um, <laughs> on those rare occasions once in a while about Star Wars yes it, it might I'll, occur to me to you to think about Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> and yeah yeah I deserve that <laughs> um, but but sometimes I think about you know what's my favorite Star Wars movie and like I, I don't have an answer to for that question, but one of the things I really like about the original Star Wars 1977, um, A New Hope, um, is that they didn't know that they were making a Star Wars movie. Like yeah. every other Star Wars movie, the actors had some sense of what they were getting themselves into. They knew it was going to be this like cultural phenomenon. Um, just uh, the expectations of like spaceships and lightsabers and john williams score and um all these things all these hallmarks of star wars but like when they made the original these these actors were just kind of taking it on faith or just doing their their own interpretation of what they thought that the script was what was going to be right and some then, you know hokey somehow, thing about space wizards or whatever yeah exactly and then somehow through some alchemy out came star wars and then it set the expectations so yeah it's a little bit like that with uh with doctor who as well where you know the first time you see a dalek that's not a dalek yet that's just a a dalek you know right and like um, i don't know if that makes any sense but william hartnell isn't the first doctor he's just the doctor yeah, yeah, and he's exactly, he's exactly that kind of, of not even the Doctor. He's kind of Doctor Who, like that's what they yeah. call him in the closing credits of the show. Is Doctor yeah, Who? Yeah, and like Susan and Ian and Barbara are his companions. You know, now we have this expectation that, of course, um, the companions are going to come and go, and you know, in each era, you're going to have different companions, um, and then maybe you know they'll 
guest again later on mm-hmm. um, as we build this like uh, I don't know stable of companions. <laughs> that sounds awful, <laughs> but a uh, yeah, portfolio full one. of of companions. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a party roster <laughs> is what it is. Um but but yeah in this one um it's it's just these guys and you know of course it's a history teacher and a science teacher and a young woman slash child depending on whether you ask <laughs> a normal person or the or doctor. The doctor. <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah. So as you may have figured out by now, listeners, uh, especially if you probably read the title of this episode or the description or listened to the episode that came out last week or noticed that this is an off week and an episode came out anyway, any of those may have tipped you off to the fact that this is a special episode. Uh, Wait, Kyle, what, we're doing a special episode? <laughs> Nobody told me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Benny, I, I appreciate that you have worn your tuxedo to this. I, you know, I can see on our video chat that, you know, you, <laughs> you know, we've, we've both agreed to dress up in our, our finest garb that we can possibly manage. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm wearing a tuxedo, but you wore a cloak, so <laughs> my hat's off to you. you know, I, think, I think you won this one. Bo Brummel always told me I looked good in a cloak, so. <laughs> Wikipedia, Bo Brummel. <laughs> I have actually looked him up after we recorded that episode. <laughs> we, we do have a number of topics that we wanted to discuss here in our season one wrap-up episode and discussion. The first topic that we wanted to bring to the table is what I am referring to as our season one fleet. <laughs> season one provided us with uh, a whole number of ships. Yes. Is that, is that what it says on that card that you just took out of that envelope? <laughs> Indeed. We, we have received the envelopes. We are looking at the cards and there are quite the number of notable ships that we wanted to to mention in our episode today. Uh, I believe these are generally arranged in the order in which they were introduced. So uh, I'm going to start off by talking about the HMS Suzhou. Yes, that, that was a good one. I, I also like that... Um, it, you know, Susan got a kind of a cute ship because, um, like, a lot of times I feel like Susan's just sort of there to to give reactions to things and to have the doctor talk down to her. But this was like something for her, something that she got to have. Yeah, yeah, and it was actually you know a fairly important plot line as well throughout the yeah. throughout the serial. This was in the Marco Polo serial, as you recall. Yes, yes. Indeed. Yeah, I I liked that a lot. Uh yeah, it was great for Susan to to have her own thing that she could do. Uh she had, you know, uh a friend to spend her time with as they spent, I believe, several weeks in the Marco Polo era traveling through, you know, frozen mountains and and deserts and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean 
Who who could help but fall in love in a setting like that? <laughs> Indeed. And it really it seemed like such a nice, you know, wholesome, um, supportive ship where, uh, you know, um, Ping Cho, of course, was um, betrothed to marry uh, some some guy that she was not looking forward to meeting. Right. And Susan was like very against this idea of arranged marriage as you know the 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 modern woman who's so like well i don't know maybe i shouldn't even put it like that but she she just you know had this great um objection to that and and through that the two of them bonded because i think that you know to ping cho it was probably a, a bit of a surprise that this was even something that you could like object to yeah yeah, I I agree. Um, it was it was nice for Ping Cho to have somebody to commiserate with her over that, basically, and yeah, and you know, although of course in the end, Susan continues traveling with the doctor, and Ping Cho stays in her own time. Uh, I was glad that you know she didn't have to marry the old dude; he just died off screen without us ever even seeing him. Very convenient, and also, you know, quite, uh, quite generous of him to <laughs> wrap up that plot point, you know, uh -huh. quite neatly. So, when our heroes go to visit one of the various different planets that they visited in the season, they go to the planet of Marinus, and of course, on Marinus. There is another ship introduced, which is Sabiltos, I believe was the name we landed on. Sabaltos? I'm trying to remember. Sabaltos, that might have been it. Sabaltos, Sabaltos, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, this was, of course, Sabitha and Altos, both of whom were, you know, were native to the planet. And had both been sent out on a quest to to recover the various keys of Marinus and, you know, had basically both not really done well on their quest until our heroes came along and tried to refuse the quest. But, of course, the DM forced him to play it, so... <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the DM had already bought all the miniatures. Right. Uh, the, the setting book and stuff so by golly <laughs> <laughs> um yeah for, for the the sabaltos or sabeltos ship to be honest i i don't have quite as fond memories of this one um it felt much more like it was just kind of there it was a I, bit of a boring oh, ship yeah yeah i don't know if we need to spend a whole lot of time on this one i mean it was fine i was kind of happy for them yeah you know? But, but yeah, it was like, uh, oh, yeah, got these two characters. We might as well put them together. Also, it was canonical, and maybe those aren't, aren't as interesting to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's often true. The canonical ships are, romantic. are generally not as interesting. But we had, in our next serial, of course, we had various different ships that had various levels of canonicity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to decide uh, which order we should introduce these in. Uh, I 
I guess we'll start with the the most canonical according to like the actual <laughs> script of the episodes, uh, which is of course architecture. <laughs> I wasn't sure which one you were going to say. Yeah, I wasn't sure either until like I said that. it. <laughs> I, was, I was like, any one of those could be a winner. <laughs> oh, architecture! The thing I really love about architecture is that. It doesn't just end in this one serial, but it does continue. Um, that whether he's, you know, explicitly talking about ar- architecture or if it's just sort of in the subtext, you know that in his heart the doctor has architecture. Yeah, for sure. It's a. In fact, you know, even when I when I think about modern Doctor Who, which you know I haven't watched a whole lot of recently, but. You know, I'm pretty sure I can I can easily imagine the the architecture ship continuing throughout the entire history of Doctor Who. Oh yeah, it's it's there in the subtext for sure. Yeah. We also the Doctor kind of had to split his time between a couple of different ships though, because he was not only sailing the good ship architecture, but he also occasionally hit some troubled waters in the Comector ship. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, in, in this serial, the doctor's not just a captain, he's an admiral because he has multiple <laughs> ships. <laughs> and yeah, Comector, I was like, man, he, he drank that, uh, cocoa, you know? Yeah. Yeah, drinking the cocoa is pretty serious. Like, if you're going to drink the cocoa, you got to live up to it. Yeah. You got you to gotta respect the cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and what was, what was her name? Kameka? Yeah, yeah, Kameka. She, she was so nice and, like, so just uh, sweet and pleasant, and she kind of had this like you know silver fox thing going on and and really she was probably too good for the doctor but probably but she cared about <laughs> him and and she you know had a, a crush on him and yeah and then in the end when he's like oh guess i'm gonna go then she was surprisingly understanding of it yeah i wish they had brought her along though like you know, there's been, a, I think, a couple of different characters throughout the season that we've sort of talked about being companions, Pincho being one of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Kameko was definitely one of those as well. I think it it could have been a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I imagine Susan might have enjoyed having like a grandmother presence in addition to her grandfather and her two school teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think she would have been good for the doctor too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Someone that could maybe like gently call him on his shit. And, and she did sort of have a gentle vibe to her, but I think that she would have called him on his shit. Yeah. I think so too. I think she would not have let him get away with some of the shit he gets away with in this season. Sort of, you know, tempered that with Coco so that it wasn't too, <laughs> too, too blunt against his ego. Uh-huh. Um, and, but yeah, maybe just kind of like, helped him tone it down a bit. And then of course our final Aztec ship was also kind of hit some troubled waters. This of course was the Ixtian ship. 
<laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's trouble waters being the hex that was trying to kill Ian. <laughs> but by golly, sometimes that's just what you need out of a ship. Uh huh. <laughs> and you know, when he's not trying to kill him, like maybe they can be friends. Yeah, and at one point there was only one sleeping cot, sleeping bag, whatever it was, but there was only one. Yeah, and we all know what that means. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I liked this one. I think that um, overall, you know, we sort of bullshit about the ships and uh, just make stuff up for our own amusement. But there were a couple of lines in there, and obviously now it's too far back for me to actually remember exactly what those were, but there were a couple of those parts um, where, where yeah, I could I could look at that and just be like, that's shippy. I, yeah. I like that. I, I have decided, you know, obviously I didn't mean it that way, Um but I have decided for, for myself, um, just for my own like amusement and, and headcanon and whatnot, that there's there's something going on under the surface here. So from the Aztecs, we move on to the sense sphere where our heroes encountered the sense rights. And of course, this one also had a a very canonical ship that was you know very much written into the script that of course being the carol and john ship mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know as yeah. far as ships go this one was also a little boring but it it did have a nice kind of an interesting arc though you know john starting out as a space zombie and you know carol basically having given up given up on him and then you know he gets cured by the sensorites of course and they you know plan their return to earth yeah so listeners when you find somebody who sticks with you even when you're a space zombie that's how you know it's real yeah that's when you bust out the cocoa <laughs> the freeze-dried astronaut cocoa <laughs> You know, just imagine if they had only like thought to pack some freeze-dried astronaut cocoa with them, they wouldn't have had to wait until they got back to Earth to get married. Man, that would have solved so many problems. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, I agree. It's a little, it's a little boring. Yeah. Um, as ships go. We go from there into the Reign of Terror, of course, the Doctor's favorite period in Earth history. And, you know, you... You would think that the French Revolution would have been fought like mostly as a land-based battle since, you know, France <laughs> is like a country. Oh my God, Kyle. <laughs> but there are actually several ships involved. Yeah. <laughs> we, of course, the first ship that's introduced in this, this story was the ship called Barbleon. And... You know, that that was a pretty exciting ship. It got a nice, strong start. Even Susan was kind of cheering it on. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> but she just wants Barbara to be happy. Uh-huh. And, of course, from there, we, we had kind of another similar ship introduced that I think we called Leonine or Leonian. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it took us longer to make up a name for this ship than the ship than actually the ship lasted, lasted. <laughs> in the episode. Uh-huh. You see, they were 
they were building this ship down at the shipyards and the the barbellion was also kind of docked at the shipyards uh it you know had kind of gone on its maiden voyage and was you know getting kind of fit up for you know its regular regular duties when all of a sudden there was an attack and you know just explosions and cannonballs and fire and flame and when when the smoke cleared the entire shipyard was just destroyed the there was no sign of the barbleon or the leonian yeah and down to the you know briny deep right it turns out that this attack was launched by our our final ship from the serial, the Jules Jean ship, mm-hmm. which we didn't even realize was was being shipped until the final episode. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like I, I couldn't really even tell those two characters apart. So I don't really <laughs> have a whole lot to to contribute here. Uh-huh. Um, Jean kind of disappeared yeah. for a while. We we did have two characters left over at the end, and so we were like, <laughs> hey, why not? Uh-huh. Why not ship them? Now, listeners, we have assembled quite the fleet here. Yes, but every fleet's got to have a flagship. Every fleet needs a flagship. We don't have yes. a ship leading our fleet yet, or we have not yet introduced the ship leading our fleet, which, of course, is the flagship, the HMS Barbarian. Ah, uh, yeah. Our favorite, and hopefully your favorite too, listeners, because this is the one that is going to keep on sailing. I mean, you think that the the TARDIS is the ship that's taking us through Doctor Who, and it kind of is. Okay, fine, it kind of is. But also, <laughs> the, the good ship Barbarian is the ship that we're all sailing on. Indeed. I, I don't know where the TARDIS would even be without the Barbarian. Well, maybe someday we'll find out. <laughs> but... Yeah, no, it's a it's a good ship. I mean, um, coworkers to friends to possibly lovers? Question mark. That could be a tag. Hmm. Yeah, that that definitely seems like it. It would have a category on Ao3. I mean, the two of them uh, genuinely seem to care about each other. They support each other. They're, um, you know, it has its occasional problematic side where Ian will be kind of um, overproductive or, or a little bit um, controlling even, but, but he does seem to genuinely also respect Barbara. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's good. And there was that moment, um, I forget which serial this was in, where, where Barbara was, sort of upset and saying that, you know, they've, they've left, left everything behind and how strange everything around them is. And, and Ian says something like, but you have me. And I was like, all right, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> One ticket aboard <laughs> the HMS Barbarian, please. <laughs> that's probably like the peak Barbarian moments of the season, honestly. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great Barbarian moments, but that's that's one of them for sure. I, I do remember when I was doing an edit on that episode, I had to lower the volume on my audio as I yelled with joy. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
So we all know that Doctor Who is an educational program. Yeah, that's why we watch it. <laughs> exactly. We learn lots of things about about the world from Doctor Who. We've learned, you know, all about space zombies, space vampires, but you know, there's been there's been several educational moments that we wanted to remind you all of. You know, there will be a quiz after, so <laughs> don't worry it's not actually worth any of your grade because you're not being graded <laughs> we're like those cool teachers we're not school teachers we're those cool those cool um, <laughs> there's got to be something there <laughs> so way back in the edge of disaster we had what i believe was actually the first truly educational moment they kind of tried for some in the one with the cave people, but never quite hit. People used to live in caves. <laughs> Which also, by the way, is not necessarily historically accurate. <laughs> uh-huh. People used to live in caves in an indeterminate period of time in the past. Yes, in certain parts of the world, in certain populations of humans, they lived in caves. <laughs> also, pronouns were invented, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> So Edge of Disaster, though, it gave us uh, a whole monologue from the Doctor about the birth of stars that I really appreciated, actually, at the time. And if you guys, like me, don't remember which one Edge of Disaster was, that was the two-episode serial where uh, the button gets stuck and, like, some of the characters start acting weird and, like, attacking each other, and they're all... It's an entirely a bottle episode aboard the TARDIS. Right. I think it's often referred to as the edge of destruction because that's the name of the first episode of the serial. But we combined the edge of destruction with the brink of disaster to just name the serial, the edge of disaster. Yep. That's uh, that's doctor's watcher canon <laughs> for whatever that's worth. Uh-huh. Yeah. I thought, I thought this was kind of a nice educational moment. Like Kyle actually showed me the video where this happens and uh, it's, it's a little, um, I don't know if dramatic is the right word, but it, it's, it is kind of dramatic. It is, yeah. The, the camera kind of zooms in on William Hartnell as he kind of pauses and like kind of poses a bit even and, and does this little monologue about how, how stars are born of stardust. Right, the dust swirling. swirls together. and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was really it fun. It was nice. It was cool. It was striking. Of course... In Marco Polo, they managed to find a way to tie their educational moment to the plot when we learned about how condensation works. <laughs> yep. Yeah, as you recall, our heroes were lost in the desert, and the warlord Tagana has, unknown to the rest of the heroes, like slashed their water gourds and drained all the water, and... Just as they are about to like die of dehydration the next day or whatever, they wake up one morning and the doctor is allowed back inside the TARDIS and finds that all the interior walls of the TARDIS are covered in condensation. Which was just kind of lucky, I guess, but, <laughs> but it did give us an educational moment. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, they bring it out and save everybody's life with it, and Marco Polo's basically like, what the fuck, I thought you said you had no water. And they're like, oh, it's condensation. You know about that, right? And he's like, 
No, I don't fucking know about that. So Ian gets to teach him. <laughs> uh, and, and I get to make jokes about condescension. <laughs> we get a lot of lessons about condescension from the doctor. Yes, uh, regardless of what else we're getting lessons about. <laughs> of course, uh, another educational moment that they probably could have put into Marco Polo, but they saved for the Keys of Marinus, is what to expect when you're freezing to death. <laughs> it's like the, the sequel to what to expect when you're expecting that nobody expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the publisher came and was like, you know, this... This book has been selling a lot. Do you have like anything else about what to expect when when certain life events are happening? And they're like, yeah, there's there's one I've really been thinking a lot about recently. So ever since I saw this serial on Doctor Who, they they go to a, a cold place and some of the characters get put out into the snow. And I just thought, you know, what to expect when you're freezing to death? doesn't quite have the same ring as what to expect when you're expecting, but I, th I think it'll still sell. I mean, and some of us, like, you know, are probably unlikely to ever have kids, but you never know. You might someday <laughs> I'm just speaking for myself here, by the way. <laughs> now, you also might need to know someday what the melting point is of either iron or molybdenum. Yeah, this is. Uh, I think. I think I enjoy this one as being the most like specific <laughs> and like least likely to actually come up in any sort of practical scenario uh -huh. of all the the lessons and educational moments that we've gotten from the doctor. If it ever does happen that you need to melt some iron or molybdenum, and you're not quite sure how hot to stoke your furnace, just go watch the sensorites, and like somewhere in that serial. You'll learn. Yes, it'll be a, a valuable use of your time. <laughs> you know, you probably could just look it up on, on Wikipedia or something, but, but then you wouldn't get to watch the Sensorites. Yeah, and, you know, remember that they didn't have Wikipedia in 1963 slash 1964. That's true. Um, but they did have Doctor Who. So, yeah, if you needed to melt so, some molybdenum in 1964... <laughs> then watching this serial might be might have been the best way to learn the correct temperature. Yep. All those kids at home. Yeah, a whole generation of British children knew the, the melting point of, of iron and molybdenum. Or at least had heard it once. <laughs> <laughs> now, one educational moment that actually inspired me to think about considering educating myself was the 27th of July, 1794. Mm -hmm. Which, of course... Something definitely happened then. We now know was the day that something definitely happened. Something definitely happened to Robespierre. <laughs> and after that, not a whole lot of things happened um, to Robespierre on other days yeah i think that was pretty much the last day that that things happened, happened to robespierre yeah of course we can't talk about educational moments without talking about all the various technologies that we learned about in doctor <laughs> who 
our favorite bit or i'll speak for myself my favorite recurring bit <laughs> lost any sort of like relevance after the very first serial the one with the cave people but by golly <laughs> i mean those are the best yeah. bits are the ones that that are no longer relevant yes it wasn't the one with the cave people that we first started talking about technology the very first serial started talking about technology of course in the time of the cave people, some extremely notable technologies were invented. There was, of course, fire, but not least of this, we also invented the technologies of both names and pronouns. Yeah, but you uh, didn't know that um, names came first, and then uh, when people got tired of just repeating names all the time, they picked the name of one of the people around them, changed the spelling, and turned it into a pronoun. Because <laughs> I remember that her was one of the characters, but her right. name was spelled, I think, H-U-R. Right, yeah. And, of course, we all know that Doctor Who is educational, so this is clearly what actually happened in human history. Yeah, and then maybe even like spelling technology came along at some point, but uh, <laughs> that we didn't get into. Right. I'm presuming that the cave people named him and they just lived in different tribes and just, you know, just not the tribe that, or, you know, not, not the group of cave people that our heroes interacted with. They only met her. Yeah. I mean, I think that with Dr. Who, the technologies don't have to actually be educational moments. Um, so I feel like there's something profound there or at least something insightful, but. <laughs> as far as I got in my brain. So, yeah, technologies aren't always educational moments. Indeed. And, of course, we don't just learn about our own human past technology. We also learn about various alien technologies, such as rangescopes and electroscopes and vibroscopes and videoscopes. Yeah. Yeah, that was in the Daleks. Um, yeah. I love them. And... You know, if you ever, like, lose your scopes or you've misplaced them, you can always just get out your scoposcope and it'll <laughs> show you where all your scopes are. Uh -huh. Yeah, the Daleks love scoping things out. Yes. And, you know, there's, there's various different ways to scope things. There's various different things to be scoped. So you got to have a lot of scopes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just... I love it. I think that it's such a, you know, good cheesy sci-fi naming convention of having something in there, especially with like the, the O like range O scope. It's, uh, yeah. So yeah. So good. Of course, another very important technology is the technology of switches and buttons that have springs inside of them. <laughs> yeah, as we all learned um, in the edge of disaster, uh, you got to make sure that they don't get stuck. Um, so keep an eye on those springs. Um, but honestly, like even speaking as as a person in the real world and not on the TARDIS, knowing how things are constructed, even like a simple button, you know, you push down the button and it springs back up. Well, why is that? Oh, there's a spring inside. Like. All right, that's a that's a thing that mm -hmm. you could learn, presumably. <laughs> yeah, and you know he kind of like demonstrates it to Susan with a flashlight too. So, yeah, 
Of course, the important thing to remember with your switches and buttons that have springs inside of them is when you're wiring them up to your fault locator, make sure to wire the spring to the fault locator separately from the switch or button because <laughs> if the spring breaks, your fault locator is not going to tell you that the switch or button is broken because the switch or button is probably fine. It's just the spring that's broken. Who locates the fault when the fault is with the fault locator? <laughs> so, of course, on the planet of Marinus, we also are introduced to various different technologies, mostly in the like the end of that serial where, you know, they go into like the courtroom drama. But, you know, that location has psychometric examinations. They've got heat reflectors. They've got auto rays. They've got lots of cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, the psychometric examinations kind of in retrospect, I had to say this feel very Star Trek to me. Um, so. yeah, yeah. That was when they could like, they could scan an object and figure out like who the last person who held it was based on the psychomet psychometric residuals that they had left on it or something. Yeah. That was pretty yeah, cool. I mean, it's like something you would definitely see on Star Trek. Um, or, you know, that, that type of thing. And here we are in Doctor Who before even Star Trek ever came out and examining things psychometrically. Of course, we also on Marinus had the classic technology of brains in jars. Yes, that's, that's a essential. You got you to gotta know how to properly keep a good brain in a jar. Yeah. Of course, those brains in jars, as I recall, basically enslaved people to take care of them, and that doesn't really seem like a sustainable solution to me. So, when I get my brain put into a jar, I'm gonna want like an automated storage and, and caretaking solution. I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very kind of you, Kyle. I almost feel like if you're a brain in a jar, you're almost entitled to a little bit of of evil and villainy. Because uh, uh, you're, come on, you're a brain in a jar. Just, <laughs> I could probably get like okay a, at that point. some kind of robot or android to take care of me. Okay, okay. Of course, the Marinus folks aren't the only aliens or non-Earthlings with cool technology. The Sensorites on the Sense Sphere had plenty of cool technology as well. The Sensorites have invented technologies of fucked up potato mashers, disintegrator beams, electrothermal couples, and brain stethoscopes. And those, man, those are just like peak cheesy sci-fi right there. Um, the brain stethoscopes, so good. Just, you know, the, the visual of like holding this thing up to your head because you're using your psychic powers to communicate and... Uh, uh, and then the disintegrator beams um, that are activated with the the disintegrator key. Yeah, yeah, which you can bend <laughs> to to disable it. Uh -huh. um, I mean, if Lord Vader himself has to remind you no disintegrations, then you know that's some classic sci-fi right there. Yeah, for sure. Of course, 
on the ship that's in orbit around the sense sphere, we may recall that at the start of the serial, there's a brief moment or a few moments where we first think that Carol and Mayland are dead, and then we think they're space liches because they are using the technology of space phylacteries to store their yep. heartbeats. It was not clear to me in retrospect whether the space phylacteries were provided by the sensorites or if that's a human technology. Oh, yeah, I guess I just sort of assumed there was a, a human technology, but yeah, it might not have been. It might have come from the sensorites. Because, yeah, the sensorites at that point in the story basically want to keep the humans there forever, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of putting them into sleep in orbit while they build the the human compound on the planet. Yeah. Listeners, if you can't be a space vampire, but you have the opportunity to be a space lich, I say go for it. Yeah, I think I would take that opportunity if I got the chance. And that's why we're friends. <laughs> Hi, I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you like our podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to ask us a question, share your thoughts, or make fun of us, you can email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweet us at drwatcher. Thanks for listening, and now back to the episode. So we wanted to talk a little bit about various episode titles that we've had in this season. One theme that we noticed and that Barbara actually kind of referenced during the reign of terror was that there were a lot of them referencing death. Mm -hmm. We had the dead planet, the sea of death, sentence of death, the warriors of death and a race against death. And everyone was good. Yeah. At least the titles were. (laughs) (laughs) We made a whole list of good episode titles. We were going to make a list of bad episode titles, but I actually decided that none of them were bad. They were either just good or okay. Yep. (laughs) But we did list all the good ones. There were plenty of good ones, uh, starting with An Unearthly Child. The Cave of Skulls. The Forest of Fear. The Edge of Destruction. The Brink of Disaster. This serial actually had a whole bunch of good titles. <laughs> Such as The Point of Disintegration. The Perimeter of Catastrophe. The Circumference of Cataclysm. The Verge of Ruination. The Border of Annihilation. <laughs> the Verge of Adversity. I was a bit surprised that they reused Verge in two episode titles. It's a good one. <laughs> the- <laughs> The Almost of Bad. <laughs> the Frontier of Debacle. The Threshold of Tragedy. Oh, that's an especially good one. <laughs> and, of course, the final episode of the serial, The Edge of the Brink of the Destruction of Disaster. That's what we should have used for the name of the serial. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving right along. The Roof of the World. The Singing Sands. 500 Eyes. Which I believe is alternately known as the Cave of 500 Eyes. The Wall of Lies. The Velvet Web. The Screaming Jungle. The Snows of Terror. 
the temple of evil. I was hoping you would say evil. (laughs) (laughs) The bride of sacrifice. The day of darkness. Strangers in space. Which I I do have to pause and say I love that because like strangers, normally not so bad. But if you run into strangers while you're in space, that's a whole different (laughs) space ball game. Yeah, who knows what that could be. Uh, We get a callback title here. Originally, we had Forest of Fear, but now we're calling back to that with A Land of Fear. Yeah, anything gets better if you add a fear to the end of it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Guests of Madame Guillotine, which still, somebody make that into an album, please. I will buy it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for real. And, of course, The Tyrant of France. Oh, so good. We also had plenty of amazing and incredible special effects. You know, it just round of applause to the BBC special effects department of 1963 and 64, because they just knocked things out of the park with things like the, the guns or the, the beams that the Daleks shoot that actually turn the film of the camera filming negative. Yes. Yeah, and and we do genuinely love these effects. I mean, we're we're kind of making fun, you know, um, but uh, in my heart, it's just it's so good. Yeah, we wouldn't make fun of them if we didn't love them so much. <laughs> I know that when when they were filming the original episodes of Star Trek, it was like a pain in the ass to do the phasers because they had to remind the actors to hold the phaser prop very very steady so that they could draw in the beam. Oh, uh-huh. um, they should have just turn the film to to its negative and then they wouldn't have had to worry about it yeah that that just completely erases that problem (laughs) and if you don't do it right it probably erases your film as well (laughs) (laughs) and you know even if you do do it right like the bbc will probably erase your film later (laughs) gosh (laughs) uh yep of course we had Plenty of great matte paintings throughout the season, but I wanted to call particular attention to the Aztec matte paintings. Yeah, we, we do love a good matte painting. Um, if if you're a Star Wars fan, then um, at some point look up Star Wars matte paintings and you'll notice or maybe realize that a lot of the scenes that you see in Star Wars that you thought were sets or that you thought were like, you know, miniatures or something are actually matte paintings. It's amazing. And yeah, the really ones is. in Doctor Who, also really fun and good. But occasionally we get an effect that involves, you know, the live action of a special effects artist. Yes. You may recall in the Keys of Marinus when our heroes encounter a statue with moving arms. I love that it really was just somebody like, you know, standing behind the set piece slash prop and putting their arms through two holes. And then those are the arms of the statue. (laughs) Uh So good. Yeah, it was incredible. I loved that so much. Marinus also had another amazing effect. You remember when our heroes were in the, I forget the name of the, the the location on Marinus, but it was the place that was like fucking with their minds and making it seem like everything was all nice and shit. 
And of course, while we are there, the doctor and Ian are delighted to visit the well-equipped laboratory with every conceivable instrument. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, this may be my favorite of the uh, the best worst special effects. On the other hand, I'm not sure if it even counts because <laughs> uh, it was it was nothing. It was uh-huh. uh, pretty much an empty room. Yeah, we see um, an empty room. I think we see a table and like, like a dirty mug or, or something. something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good. I just, yeah, still, I don't know if we're ever going to top that one. That one will always have, well, even if we top it, it will still have a place in my heart. Yeah, for sure. A well-equipped place in my heart with every conceivable bit of love. (laughs) Another one that happened a few different times. I remember it happening in the Dalek serial, and I believe it also happened with the Pyramid in Keys of Marinus, is when we have a wall that is painted to look like the corridor continues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a classic effect. I love it. Um, in in Star Wars, when they're breaking Princess Leia out of prison in the first one, and yeah, you have a, a wall painted to look like a continuing corridor when they're having that uh, blaster fight with the stormtroopers, which of course they later CG'd um, in the special editions. Um, but yeah, in, in Doctor Who, they they use it on occasion, the same trick, and it is always a winner in my book. You know, a few years ago, I built the Lego Death Star playset, and the playset has like various different little scenes from the movie from the movies that you can play out mm-hmm. and one of them is that prison escape sequence and there's actually like a lego piece with a decal on it of the continuing corridor nice that's like yeah specifically represents like the matte painting of the continuing corridor wow it's sort nice. of like yeah a lego in joke it's great what a what a fitting tribute to an excellent effect. And yeah, I, I also like that it has kind of a cartoony, almost Looney Tunes-esque quality to it. Uh-huh. But of course, our favorite special, best worst special effect from the first season also yes. happened a number of times. And this, of course, is the Tiny Tot Tardis, which we first see the very end of the very first episode and it's like why is it so small surely surely they could have made it bigger but (laughs) boy am i glad that they didn't yeah yeah i would definitely have to agree with you there i am so glad that it's just a little tiny tardis it's it's so cute and also so obvious and yeah there'll come a time um in later seasons when They'll probably have some super cool, elaborate special effects, and we'll be like, how did they do that? But there's there's some special charm to these really low-budget, simple special effects that you look at it, and you're like, yes, that's obviously just a tiny four or five inch at most TARDIS on a little bitty set uh-huh. um, built to scale, like basically a model railroad type scale and it's so good so yeah it's probably not even four or five inches it's probably like 
don't know, three <laughs> inches. <laughs> it's it's probably tiny yeah. and cute. Yeah, and yeah, I, it they can't go wrong with it. Anytime they use it, I'm gonna love it. Yes, it's a winner. So we've had a good discussion today. We've covered a number of topics, but before we leave you listeners for another week, we have one final topic that I assume you have all been waiting for with bated breath. You probably all want to hear how Benny and I rank these cereals on tiers. And if you don't, then we're going to tell you anyway. <laughs> if you don't, then you can probably skip to the end. But but we recommend against it. You should listen to this. Yeah, I mean, it's our <laughs> podcast. We're going to talk about whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, tiers are typically presented as like a chart online or, you know, a picture that you look at. And we can't really do that in an audio medium, obviously. So we thought that we would... We would present them to you in reverse order from like the worst tier to the best, basically. Uh, it's hard to like specifically rank them serial by serial, which is why we went with tiers. But yeah, um, cool. I don't think there's further introduction needed. So Benny, what's in your F tier? Yeah, my my F tier, I don't think anyone's going to be too surprised to learn that my F tier has one cereal in it and it is the one with the cave people um i think we it was fun to talk about you know it was fun to hear kind of kyle describing things but after a while it's just like it's like i don't know not a whole lot happening um it did have the the bit when they're running and they're getting hit by branches from people off screen Um, that's true that was kind of fun I liked when they put the the skulls on the torches to make ghosts, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, other other than that, it, it just it didn't have a whole lot going for it, um, and it just felt very kind of I don't know, kind of bland for for something with with cave people. Yeah. Yeah, I got to agree with you on all that. My F tier also has just one cereal, and it is also the one with the cave people. I thought that it was a pretty boring cereal overall, and honestly, I kind of almost, well, I won't even say almost, I kind of wish that it was not the first cereal. I kind of think they could have started with the Daleks instead of the one with the cave people. And uh, I almost want to just say it could have been a 39 episode season. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't miss a whole lot if you skip it. Um, Yeah. There's there's no like, you know, big revelation or character development or anything. So I guess kind of depending on how you, how you look at it, the, uh, unearthly child is is part of the one with the cave people um and that one you should probably watch because it does sort of yeah introduce things but then after that you can just skip to wherever basically yeah At and you know, skip the one with the cave people <laughs> 39 episodes is still a pretty fucking long season so 
yeah, we still yeah. some of these some of these cereals definitely run long or feel like they uh, could have been shorter. Moving on, I guess uh, I don't have a C tier. I just went right to B tier because we don't actually have that many cereals. Um, but my first B tier is the Edge of Disaster, um, the one with the the stuck button. Um, it's it's not terrible. Um, and we did get to talk about space vampires, but then in the end, it wasn't actually space vampires. So B tier. Yeah, that one's in my B tier as well. I thought it was, you know, basically kind of a throwaway. It's only two episodes long. I believe I read on the internet that they were they were originally commissioned basically to make 13 episodes and an unearthly child on the one with the cave people was four and then the daleks was seven that's 11 so this was literally like just a filler because they you know not knowing if the show is going to continue or not yeah and it just used all the sets and costumes and stuff that they already had so right it's kind of a an easy one so yeah it's definitely a throwaway it's it was relatively entertaining and it was pretty short, but it also doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> it's yeah. notable that it was the first time that we thought it was going to be space vampires, but it wasn't actually. So, yeah. Um, and then my other, my other beat here one, um, was the sensorites, um, which honestly, it starts off great. I really like the, parts on the spaceship um with the space zombie um with the mysterious like force that compels them to stay and there's all this stuff about like the fear and uh how if you're not afraid the sensorites have less power over you that part i thought was pretty cool but then when they actually end up on the sense sphere um i thought it kind of got a little bogged down with the uh, sensorite politics um and various sensorites who are participating in the plot or, you know, whether knowingly or unknowingly or all this stuff. I did enjoy the sashes though. I enjoyed the, the changing of the sashes and, and yeah. played into the plot. Yeah. I put this one into my B tier as well. I thought it was fairly entertaining, but the story does kind of wander a lot, you know, at first, we have like the brief moment of are they dead or not? And then we have the whole space zombie thing with John and then we get to the planet and then we have the whole like mystery of, of one sash and who poisoned the water and like, yeah, it's just kind of all over the place. But that said, it was relatively entertaining to watch and it was a pretty interesting look at, a very strange alien society. That's always kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, I think you said that was the last of your B tier, but I have one yeah. more in my B tier, which was actually a serial that started on my A tier, but I decided to bump it down. And that is the Aztecs, which I thought was a fun story. It was, you know, it was entertaining to watch and it was a good example of classic Doctor Who, both the good and the bad. And 
that's why I bumped it down because it's it's a problematic fave. Uh, I had it on the on the A tier, but the you know just the issues it has with colonialism basically and like the institutional and unquestioned racism mm-hmm. uh yeah were enough to make me decide to to move it from a down to b mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep that makes sense um so should we move on to our eight tiers? yeah let's do that all right a tier good solid and i i will say that this goes up to s tier so that these are not like Best of the best, but they are good, good stuff. And my first one in the A tier list was Marco Polo. Um, good characters. I, you know, like the Warlord Tagana, like Ping Cho, um, Marco Polo himself, um, Kublai Khan. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was fun. It was like, um, historical but they move around enough and they do enough things to to keep it interesting um and everyone had some way to contribute some some plot some portion of the plot that was relevant to them and that they got to um be an active participant in um and yeah i just i thought it was good solid um enjoyable doctor who fun yeah, I put that one in my A tier as well. It's an engaging story. It had good historical interest. Uh, we talked about the Sucho ship earlier, of course. That's you know definitely recommending the serial. I actually had originally listed it in my S tier. I think coming into this season, I sort of expected to not enjoy the historicals as much as the sci-fis, but I actually had originally thought about putting Marco Polo in the S tier, in fact. And I think the only reason I really decided to bump it down from S to A is just purely because the entire serial is all missing, all seven episodes, and the reconstructions can be a bit hard to watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and as we discussed when we were covering these, that don't affect me at all because <laughs> I'm just listening to these either way. Um, okay, so my my next A tier um, was the Keys of Marinus. Uh, I liked that they had these mini quests, these kind of Dungeons and Dragons style mini quests that they go on each episode, new location, new threat and characters and stuff had some really great classic cheesy sci-fi monsters like the Vord, the brains and jars the ice knights um and uh yeah you can almost see the the old black and white dungeons and dragons module that this might have been um and honestly i think it might have even been s tier if it hadn't been for the uh probably the most problematic thing in the entire season of Doctor Who, uh, which was the, the bit with Vassar threatening Barbara. That, was, that wasn't just problematic. That was, like, really shitty. Uh, yeah. And, like, it was the sort of really shitty that they should have known any time that <laughs> was really <laughs> shitty. So, um, 
yeah, I, I can't even like be like, oh, well, whatever, it was the 60, but no, <laughs> um, which sucks because it is such a, a fun serial otherwise. Yeah, definitely. I put that one in my A tier as well for basically all the same reasons. I I really enjoyed all the different mini quests. It was fun that like each episode is kind of its own little mini quest until you get to the end and you know you're expecting the courtroom drama to wrap up in one episode, but then it doesn't. It carries over into the next, and you're like, oh shit! So yeah, yeah that was kind cool. of fun. Actually, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Interesting uh, sort of subversion of expectations. Uh huh. And then, but, of course, it all comes back around uh, full circle in the end. Right. Um, for the big showdown, which maybe was a little anticlimactic, but <laughs> what, what are you going to do? The Vord were pretty great, though. Oh, and, yeah. you know, they they had their rubber suits, which were fun. The, the Snows of Terror does have, I think, the... Yeah, you're right to say it's not like it's beyond problematic. It's like basically the worst moment of the season. And that actually made me think about bumping it down even lower than than it is. Um, I think without without that scene or that sort of little subplot, it could have been S tier. But with that, it is at best A tier. And, you know, that is where both of us put it. But I think it could you know, one could argue that that it would belong even lower because of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sort of going into it being like, yeah, you can probably just honestly skip that episode and just watch the rest of the serial. Yeah, the problem with skipping that episode, though, is that you don't get the Ice Knights. Yeah, well, alas. <laughs> yeah, you can skip uh, faster scenes, though. Yeah. Um, all right, so my next A tier um, was The Reign of Terror. Um, it I didn't expect to like it as much as I did because it was historical and kind of kind of seemed like at first it was just kind of hit going to hit the uh, predictable story beats for a French Revolution type story, and it certainly had that, you know guillotine aristocrats robespierre spies all that type of stuff but man it it had it had action it had intrigue um it was kind of fun and interesting like it always kind of kept me wondering what was going to happen next uh, so yeah a tier um but it does it does lose points i think because susan was so useless that's um, fair yeah yeah, the when she like basically um, prevents several escape attempts in a row, <laughs> uh, I, I, and I get that she's sick, which sucks and is not her fault. But yeah, as, as far as the character goes, she uh, she she doesn't get the best writing just overall, and maybe for that reason, I'm extra sensitive to that, I guess, or extra cognizant of that so a tier still but but just a tier not s tier so my final a tier serial is actually the daleks and you know i i love the daleks as like as creatures as enemies of doctor who 
of the Doctor. And this is basically their first origin story. So that's cool. And that's, you know, that that speaks to it. And it was a fun serial. But honestly, I wish it was a bit more engaging. And I think it could have been paced a bit tighter. And like also by the end of the serial, if I didn't already know going into it, like who or what the Daleks were, I'm, I'm not sure how much I'd be convinced personally. I know, you know, all the, all the eight year olds in 1963 England, you know, were both in love with and terrified of the Daleks, but just based on this one serial, I'm not actually sure that they're like as, as big of an adversary to the doctor as we all think of them. Yeah, that's fair. Um, well, let me move on to my S tier, um, which the first thing in my S tier is the Daleks. Because uh, <laughs> of the Daleks. Um, that's yeah, that's, that's mean, fair. Yeah, it's honestly, if I were taking this more seriously, like in terms of sitting down and like writing out all the pros and cons and weighing them and, and assigning points to various like plot, character, um, whatever uh special effects um it may not rank as high because you yeah, had the stuff with the thals kind of boring um some of the you know it kind of meanders at points um and uh even the daleks themselves yeah like you were saying maybe not the the iconic legendary villains that we see them as quite yet um but but it's interesting that you say that you don't you don't think that the the kids would be as scared the Daleks aren't as scary because and you know when I say S tier because of Daleks what I mean is uh, I think it's just fundamentally an effective villain an effective creature to have this inhuman weird looking thing that like yells at you in this robotic voice. Um, and it's not even particularly cool looking. It's kind of goofy looking and mm-hmm. awkward. And that to me makes it scarier because it makes it like, I don't know what this thing is. I That's don't a good know, point. Yeah. Like what it can do, what it wants. It's, it's, it's so inhuman. It's so um, unknown that I, I just, I, I love Daleks. Yeah. Like we've seen, Vords and sensorites, but they have two legs and two arms and a head. Yeah. Or, you know, at least we assume they do. Yeah. And the Daleks, you know, we only ever see a little tentacle peeping out from beneath a, a coat. Um, that was it. Um, that, those were the Daleks, and I love them. That is entirely fair. So I only have one on my S tier, and I guess any listener who has been taking copious notes throughout this discussion will know that the final remaining serial for me to mention here is The Reign of Terror, which, as I said earlier, I kind of expected to not enjoy the historicals as much, but here I am putting this historical as my top serial of the season, basically. Wow. yeah, it was an engaging story. Uh, it had 
you know, plenty of actual historical interest. Uh, I would agree with you that Susan is pretty useless throughout, and that's definitely a shame and too bad. But I thought the serial itself was a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of surprises. You know, we start off with like Darjanasan and Rouvray, who we think are going to be our NPCs, NPC companions for the serial. And <laughs> then they're just like murdered in the first episode. Yep. And, you know, then we have like the whole heel turn of Leon, you know, yes. trying to kill Ian. That was great. Not to mention the the face turn of Lemaitre actually being James Sterling undercover. Yeah, man. So yeah, it was it was just a really fun serial. There was a lot of action, uh, and you know I love any time we get to meet a historical character in Doctor Who, and we got both Robespierre and Napoleon in this. Yeah, yeah, it really was. You know, I I can see why it might be the main event of Dr. Mania, Dr. Mania one. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's worth mentioning that two of the six episodes. So a whole one third of the serial are missing, but unlike Marco Polo, there are, you know, officially BBC commissioned animations and those, you know, sorry to loose cannon, but the official animations are easier to watch than the telesnap reconstructions. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I had two S tiers. Uh, the Dalek was one of them, but then the other one was the Aztecs. Um, and I've been thinking about it. Like what, why, why did I rank it so high? Because it is problematic. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, it is, it's sexist. It's racist. Um, and I, I docked so many points or rank or whatever from some of the other ones for being problematic. Um, and a shrug. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I rank this one so high despite being problematic. Like I'll acknowledge that it's problematic. I, I don't like that it's problematic. Um, but it has a lot of fun characters. It has good ships. Um, it had interesting things for the characters to do. I, I had fun talking about it. And maybe, honestly, maybe that's some of it. It's like maybe I don't mind so much that it's problematic because it gave us something to talk about. Yeah. Because we could talk about how problematic it was. Um, and, you know, like with the, the Keys of Marinus, with the Snows of Terror, we could just be like, oh, no, yeah, clearly that's shitty. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> like, yeah. I, 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 and I stopped talking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's not much else to say about that. But then in the Aztecs, like that, there's actually some I think more interesting conversations to be had. But honestly, I think I'm making it sound way more intellectual than it actually is. I think I just look at it. I look at the story. I look at the like characters, and I'm like, I had fun with it. And it's it is '60s Doctor Who. Um, and I I think that you know going into it, you have to kind of expect some some things um and and honestly i think that a large part of it is probably that i have seen it <laughs> uh, most of these like maybe i've seen a clip or a picture or you know whatever but um i have seen the entirety of the aztec serial it's a short one it's fun um 
and I enjoyed it. So I have fond memories of, of being over at Kyle's place as he showed it to me. Um, so yeah, there you have it, S tier. And you know, as we discussed at the time when we watched the serial, something being problematic and something being enjoyable are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. So I did want to say before we move on to wrap this up that I wanted to give a special mention and shout out to an unearthly child because I believe that it does not belong in the one with the cave people. It's not part of that serial. And in fact, I believe that it's not really part of any serial. It's just its own episode. And it is like the intro to Doctor Who. It is a serial of one. Yeah, you could call it a serial of one. I guess if we have a serial of two, then why not? So, uh, yeah, I wanted to call it out and give it a special mention. It's good in its own right. It's a fun episode. I would probably put it in my A tier. Nice. Well, I'm I'm too lazy to redo my tiers, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd probably A tier it um, as well if if I hadn't already B-tiered it as part of, um, no, sorry, I F-tiered it. I, yeah, if I hadn't F-tiered it as part of the one with the cave people. So yesterday, yesterday as we record, not as you listeners listen to this, I celebrated the second of my quarantine birthdays and... Uh, it was fun. I had a good time, but the reason I'm mentioning it and the thing I wanted to say about it is that I received a very special gift on my birthday. (laughs) Yeah, you sure did. (laughs) (laughs) And if you follow us on Twitter, then you probably will have already seen this. Although by the time you hear this, it will have been a few months ago, but I am staring at it as we speak. It is on my desk waiting to be moved to the wall and it is a framed print of our first piece of dr watcher fan art which yes. is the the print of old two sash which was a very kindly created and given to us by our our friend of the show chris sutton so i wanted to to say thank you to Benny and his partner for giving me this gift and thank you to Chris for designing the image. And Chris has gone on to design several more images for us. So I would definitely recommend following the doctor's watcher and Chris on Twitter. Yeah. We, we always retweet it (laughs) with the official, uh, doctor watcher account. Well, official as official as any of this is, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) look at me putting on airs, but yeah, we, um, are always just so humbled and grateful for, for these, um, any interaction with our fans, but the, the fan art especially just like absolutely floors me. Um, and so, I, I had a feeling Kyle would feel the same way, and given that this is really Kyle's Kyle's baby, Kyle's show, like I'm the the co-host, but Kyle's really the host, um, <laughs> and this this show only exists through his hard work and efforts and imagination. Um, so I, I thought it was only right that he have a tangible physical 
representation of the fruits of his hard work. So now he has a framed, printed out version of the first piece of Doctor Who fan art. Indeed. And as I or said... the it, Doctor's Watcher fan art, I should say. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we are not Doctor Who. We, we just bought, We found and located the very first piece of Doctor Who fan art. It's incredible. <laughs> it precedes the Doctor Who show um, and is a uh, police call box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for that, both both to you, Benny, and to Chris. You can follow him at Chris Sutton 83 and that way you can probably see the new images he creates even before we retweet them. Yes. Well, I think that's all I've got for our season one wrap-up, Benny. Cool. Um, yeah, well, I think we can end by saying thank you to you listeners, because without you, there would be no podcast. Um, we probably would have given up by now. Honestly, <laughs> no one listened to us. <laughs> yeah, probably by this point. So, so thank you for, you know, whether you tweet at us, whether you send us emails, whether you are Chris and have made fan art for us, <laughs> or, you know, if you just listen to the episodes every two weeks, um, even seeing your, your listens, your uh, downloads, even yeah. though it's, it's very encouraging and, and we thank you and appreciate you and look forward to seeing you again um, for season two. Yeah, there's something special about the little serotonin rush that comes from like seeing the spike in our downloads every two weeks when a new yes. episode comes out. Yeah, so thank you. Cool. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this a special bonus episode and if not well season two is pretty fucking long too so you're not gonna have to listen to another one for quite a while <laughs> yeah and uh yeah if you uh listeners want to put together a tier list of the serials that you enjoyed or didn't or if you have some favorite pieces of worst best special effects or um if you you know I want to share your favorite episode titles, notable technologies, ed educational moments, um, or your favorite ships. Um, feel free to email us, tweet us, get in touch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. And then, yeah. And then after this, it's time for season two. Yeah. Join us in one week from today for season two. Oh my gosh. Oh, see you then. Bye. Bye. Hi, Kyle here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23 at gmail.com. Thanks to Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at doctorwatcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher.
Don't you think you're being rather high-handed, young man? You thought you saw a young girl into the yard? You imagine you heard her voice? You believe she might be in there? It's not very substantial, is it? But why <laughs> won't you help us? I'm not hindering you. If you both want to make fools of yourselves, I suggest you do what you said you'd do. Go and find a policeman. Or you nip off quietly in the other direction. Insulting. There's only one way in and out of this yard. I should be here when you get back. I want to see your faces when you try to explain away your behavior to a policeman. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> we might have our stinger. <laughs>